Okay, let's, let's go right to work. Uh, for 38 years, any sports fans? People who love sports? Okay, you'll recognize this name. For 38 years, Pat Summit was the women's basketball coach at the University of Tennessee. 38 years as a coach there. And she still remains the winningest women's basketball head coach of all time. She's going to get passed this year, but uh, right now, she's the winningest of all time. She lost her battle with cancer a few years ago. And I heard her speak at a leadership forum about 10 years ago. And she told a story from her coaching career. She was talking about a game that they were playing against one of their arch rivals. And they were down. It had been a close game the entire way. And they were down by two with just a few seconds to go. They rebounded the ball. And one of their players called a timeout. So the team comes over to the sideline. And the coach gets their attention. She says, look, this is the play we're going to call. She knew the team, knew the play. They'd practiced it hundreds of times. They'd used it successfully dozens of times. There was no question in her mind they knew how to do this. So she got in each player's face, and she demanded the performance from them that she knew they were capable of that she was confident they were capable of. Just inbound the ball. Just get it in. Each one of you know what to do. You know where to be. You know where to go. Do what you've been taught. Do what you've done in practice. Do what you have been coached up to do. Be confident. Trust your teammates. You can do this. Let's go. So the players broke from the timeout took their places on the court. The referee hands the ball to the inbound passer. And then everything goes into chaos mode. Nobody is where they're supposed to be. And the coach is furious. And she calls another timeout. And she ran out onto the court and she met her point guard who was to have inbounded the ball. And again, the coach is furious. And in the spectacle of this 20,000 seat arena, she gets this girl, she grabs her by the shoulders. She says, what is the matter with you? You know this play. You understand this play. You run this play. You're my point guard. What did I not make clear to you just inbound the ball. Just inbound the ball. What happened? And Coach Summit said that this girl looked at her and looked her dead in the eye. And she said, Coach, she didn't want the ball. What's that got to do with things? It has a whole lot to do with things especially as we're talking about discipleship. Most of the people, as we've discovered and as we've reinforced week after week, most people who will say, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, are either believers or they're disciples. And while every disciple is a believer, not every believer has taken that next step and become a disciple. A disciple is one of these people that, that is learning how to give control. 
away. To allow the spirit control in their lives rather than trying to have one foot in Christianity and the other foot uh, dictating their own actions, being their own boss, staying in control. The theologian Dallas Willard has written on this subject, and he had this interesting way of saying it. They have found ways of being Christian without being Christ-like. There are millions of Christian believers in America. They are happy to wear the jersey. They're delighted to sit with the team. They're happy to listen to Christian music, happy to vote for Christian candidates, but they want no part of the game. They believe, but they want no part of the game. When you live as a Christian without being Christ-like, there is this wealth and reservoir of unborn, latent talent, ability, potential, purpose, meaning, and effectiveness that is lost to the kingdom-building effort and the redemption of the world. If you're not in the game, all the things that God wants to do in you and through you will be lost. If a believer does not follow follow Christ with their whole life, their whole heart, all that ability, all that talent, all the practice, all the mentoring, all the strategies, all the giving, all of it's for nothing. If you're not in the game. And a sobering thought is only God knows the cost of Christian inactivity. And I'll admit, there have been times in my life when I have been that person who who lived a Christian life without living a Christ-like life. One of the sobering things to me is only God knows, only God knows the cost of those years of inactivity when God wanted to pour into me and into my friends and, and by his spirit through me and into the world redemption, his kingdom. There are certain and very real investments that God wants to make in you and in me. He's promised the fruit of the Spirit. He's promised spiritual gifts. He's promised to give us spiritual authority, in fact. Yet we stifle all of that, all of that beautiful potential, all those things that he holds out for us, we stifle that when belief is all we bring and all we offer. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We've all known professing believers, people that would stand and say, I am a Christian, living with all of these things, No, they're not present in their life. 
We know believers who, who seem to have no joy. We know believers who have no peace. We know believers who have no patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But the Spirit cannot bring into fullness in our lives He can't bring those things when we deny him control. When he's not in control. Believers, people that that need to take that next step toward discipleship, they have incredible opportunities to do great things for Christ, the one that they believe in. But when it stops with belief, when it stops with belief, and the Spirit calls their play, you can't find them. I want to look at a couple of things that, that in the life of a disciple become very evident. Especially using this sports metaphor. First, a disciple will live in constant anticipation of the next play called for them. A disciple will live in constant anticipation of the next play called for them. One of the things that we do as human beings is we carry the sum of our experiences. Good experiences, bad experiences. Things that have humbled us, things that have made us proud. But as a disciple... We begin to understand how the experiences of our lifetime prepare us for the next play, the next thing that God puts in our path. A disciple will believe that whatever they face in life, the hurts, the struggles, the pain, as well as our accomplishments, God has prepared us using these things in our life in a unique way. Why does a disciple believe that? Paul tells us in Ephesians, he says, we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So if God has prepared things in advance for us to do, the sum of my experience, the sum of the lessons that he has taught me, the, the things that I have learned through the school of hard knocks, the things that I have learned through my hurt have prepared me in advance, for work that he has for me and for you to do. It's not by accident that these things happen. He's preparing us. And as we begin to take this on and see our life in this way, a disciple will begin to seek and find opportunities that God has prepared in advance for them to do. Every kindness, every encouraging word, every help, every gift of your time or or simply being present with people, every trusted conversation with a friend, you begin to acknowledge that this is an intersection of the secular and the sacred. This is something that God has orchestrated. He has called this play. And here I am. Not by accident. God means for this to be. The second thing, living in anticipation. 
brings tension. And tension will lean either toward anxiety or toward excitement. We kind of uh, veered into this in our uh, Sunday school class this morning. Dr. Bruce was saying, uh, you know those times when the Holy Spirit is nudging us and, and pushing us and pushing us forward towards something that we just don't want to do and, and we get kind of uh, excited about it and, and, and we're a little apprehensive and we really don't want to do it until he finally... Anticipation brings tension. And tension will either lean us toward anxiety or toward excitement. Okay, first day of school, which were you? Were you anxious or were you excited? See what I mean? Taking a trip, okay? A trip to Disneyland, exciting. A trip to the doctor's office to get your test results, not nearly as exciting. Leads to anxiousness. One form of anticipation will lead to excitement, the other form to anxiety. But when God has called us to the work he has prepared in advance for us to do, we will feel it in one of these two ways. And Dr. Bruce mentioned one. I'm anxious about having this conversation that I'm supposed to have. I'm anxious about going to meet this person. I'm anxious about this funeral that I've got to speak at, whatever it might be. But other things he gives us great excitement toward. How do you think the Spirit intends for you to receive receive it? Satan is the one who wants to create anxiety. But the Spirit will prepare us for every opportunity. He, the Spirit understands those moments of timidness. He understands our unease with certain situations. He understands our personality. He under, understands what kinds of things are, are hard for us to do. And He's offered us a remedy for it. Paul wrote to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If God calls you to do something and it makes you anxious, here is the remedy. Take it back to him. Offer it up to him. And Paul says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we're anxious, what is it that we need? We need our hearts and minds guarded. We need the assurance that the Spirit is with us. He is going with us. He will be there with us. And He has prepared us for this. The third thing, I kind of mentioned this last Sunday. As disciples, as we find our understanding of the kingdom of heaven and its beauty and its purpose on earth, coming into greater focus. We find that this is not a kingdom of conquest, but this is a kingdom of cooperation. And therefore, part of our role as fellow disciples is to encourage one another. We can encourage one another forward, and we encourage one another onward. I know you guys. You guys have big dreams.
what I admire about you. And as I was praying this morning, it became real apparent to me that the undercurrent of joy that exists in this church is in how we watch one another how we watch God develop one another, how we watch God develop the gifts and effectiveness of one another. She's not here this morning, but let's take uh, Michelle Tracy. Michelle brings us joy on so many levels, but what brings us the deepest joy is seeing her growth as a Christian, finding ways for for her talents and abilities to be used in the kingdom. We watch Marianne Schleer, who just about every six months has another splendid idea for ministry. She brought me another one two weeks ago. We haven't gotten a chance to sit down and and talk it through yet, but these kinds of... (laughs) Does anybody appreciate the flower boxes out front? Aren't they brilliant? Don't they bless you when you come in? A year ago, February, Shelly came and said, hey, what's up with these? Let me do something. The current of joy in this church comes from seeing one another using their gifts and abilities and talents for kingdom purposes. The vision of this church, and I haven't mentioned this as often as I should have, obviously is not bigger budgets and bigger buildings and bigger staffs and bigger attendance and bold font headlines. The vision of this church is to help everybody who comes to our doors find the work Find the work that God prepared in advance for them to do. The vision of this church is to help every person who comes through our doors find the work that God has prepared in advance for them to do. And to be the biggest encouragers, the biggest supporters, the biggest resources for them. God has called each one of us to a unique position and place in his kingdom. I love our servant leadership team. And uh, we've got a big old whiteboard in the the, uh, conference room. And about uh, 18 months ago, we had one of these little breakthrough kinds of meetings. And I go in there and I I pull this whiteboard out and I look at it from time to time. And so we were writing things, Marcy was writing things on the board as they came to mind of, of how do we continue to engage more and more people in our church. And if you put that picture up, um, Zach of the Culver, one of the things we highlighted 100% of people involved in a ministry that's our vision our vision isn't 
Our vision isn't 75%. Our vision is 100% because God has made work for you to do. And only you can do it. God has gifts. He's got fruit. He's got authority that he is ready to plant in your life to accomplish these things that he's prepared for you to do. But you've got to be in the game. When the play is called, you can't run to the other end of the court when you know your place is right here. But you know something? Come to our church and we'll put you to work is not a sexy vision statement. It turns a lot of people off. But that's our vision, and our vision won't change. Because the work God prepared in advance for us to do is... It's the most exciting, the most meaningful work in the world. It is. Thank you, doctor. You can do nothing better with your life. You can do nothing better with your life than find out what God prepared in advance for you to do and then go do it with everything that you have. Not just wearing the jersey, but actually in the game. A participant. Somebody who moves the dial. And the kingdom moves forward. As pastor, Sharon and I get asked a lot of questions about, about this church. And a lot of times it's like uh, you're being interviewed or, uh, well, it's, yeah, it's like you're being interviewed. And the questions that we may be asked are superficial, but there's always this undercurrent of questions that they want to ask, but they don't know how to ask. Questions like, uh, will, I, will I agree with you guys politically? Will I like the music? If I attend your church, we, are, are you guys the kind of church that is always asking for money? Um, hmm. Will I be spiritually fed? Or in, in other words, uh, are you an entertaining speaker? Will I be able to get in and out on a Sunday morning, do my God thing and and get out of here without a lot of hassle. Are five people going to stop me and ask me to volunteer for something? A lot of times when people are shopping for a church, that's the undercurrent. How quickly and efficiently can I fulfill my Christian obligation and then get back to my world? But for a person who is becoming a disciple, somebody who is learning the ways of God, somebody who is learning through the process of sanctification to give away control to the Holy Spirit and let him lead and guide, to that person, the most important question that they will ask us is, is something like this. If I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. Is this the environment and are these the people to help me get there? 
Is this a place where I can fulfill my calling? What God has asked me to do. Is this a place where I can serve? I've heard pastors comment that when people leave their church, this was Andy Stanley, he said, good, good. If you're going to go, that, that's fine because, you know, we need your seat. Okay, That was one thing I thought that was kind of clever. But the other one was this. When people come and say, well, I'm just not being fed. Because too much of the time we are overfed. We need to go out and work. We need to work like disciples. We need, we need to find the work that God has for us to do and then go do it. Corporately and as individuals. Because we are all different. And we're all called to something different. The passion of a believer, the passion of somebody who, who is content to wear the jersey and sit on the bench and observe the game, the passion of that person is to get themselves into heaven, to qualify for heaven. But the passion of a disciple is to get heaven into people. Show them the beauty of the kingdom. The beauty of the cross. The power of the resurrection. That's it. You have work to do. God has created it in advance for you to do. We need to be about the work. If you have an idea for ministry... Let's figure things out. It's not by accident. It's by design. God meant for something to come of it. Listen to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. How in the world do you trust the human animal with your church? God, it's staggering. What an opportunity. What a, what a responsibility. What a privilege it is, God. to carry the redemptive work of your kingdom throughout Caldwell, of all places. God, we thank you. We thank you that this is a church where joy is evident, where love is evident, where we encourage one another, where we try new things, where we try bold and audacious things, God where we open our doors for community suffers. Where we feed the poor. Where we look after people. Where our concern is not just lip service, but our concern is authentic and genuine. So God, give us something, uh, give us something more. Father, we, we trust you. We trust the Spirit. He will not give us a project that he doesn't believe that we could accomplish. 
So God, we look forward to the next big thing. The next thing that's going to test our faith, the next thing that is going to try our resolve. Father, we want to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe that that is possible here and now. Right here, right now. When Jesus taught us to pray that, he wasn't asking us to pray for something to come later. In some kind of afterlife, he was saying, hey, this is possible now. So help us to live that way, Father. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be spokespeople for the kingdom. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Father, where we face fear, calm our hearts, speak to our anxieties, and give us the boldness that we need. Thank you for this beautiful day, Father. Thank you for these great people. Again, Father, we thank you for the joy that is evident, the love that is evident. Father, thank you for the heart cry that is evident too. For all these good things, Father, we give you the praise and the glory as we come to this table this morning, Father, with the bread and the cup. Help us to delight this morning, Father, in your love and in your power that conquered death and the grave. All these things we pray in your name. We love you. We love each other. Thank you, Father. Amen.